Check your politics at the door and put on your investing hat, because it's not about red or blue. It's about green. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill, joined once again by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Bill Mann. Thanks for being back here by popular demand. <laughs> I think it was just you and one other guy, though, right? That's popular demand. Um, there are a couple of things I want to get to. Um, as you and I are talking at the moment, uh, the Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell is across the river on Capitol Hill, spending some time with the nice people at the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services. We will get to that. But I want to start with, look, longtime listeners know this is not a political show. So, this is not the show for those who are looking to mix a lot of business and politics. However, I would be remiss if I didn't notice that the President of the United States gave the State of the Union address last night, and one of the ripple effects of that speech is continued conversation of the oil and gas industry as the conflict continues with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All of that laid out in front of you, where are we now with the oil and gas industry? What, what do you think as you watch the last 48 hours play out the way it has? It is it is interesting, and yeah, we we try not to be po- political, but sometimes politics shows up on business's door, and this is this is this is absolutely one of those occasions. You know, Chris, I think that we are in some ways seeing the result of a rather unserious energy policy here in the in in the U.S. and and in Europe as well, and uh, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where a lot of the energy people who really track the energy industry have said was coming for a long time, uh, have said that Europe, for example, was leaving itself way too vulnerable to Russia, for example, just you know, for their energy needs. And there's a, there, there's a cliche that energy, that, that energy is life. And one of the things I was hoping for was to see a little bit more of a recognition of the fact even if we don't like it, even if we say, well, you know, the good person in me says that, you know, in time, I want us to be a country that's run primarily on renewables, that we need to recognize now that our energy policy as it pertains to the oil and gas industry uh, is it's it doesn't help us at all. And it definitely hurts. It definitely helps our adversaries at this point, in particular, uh, Russia. This is not specific to the oil and gas industry. This is the case with pretty much every industry that when there are sort of overarching conversations in the media about a given industry, the attention goes to the biggest companies and the biggest names. Mm -hmm. And the usual suspects in the oil and gas industry are companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron. Where else should we be looking as investors? Uh, because this is an enormous industry. You know, it's, it, I sort of chuckle every time someone refers to the healthcare industry, and I want to say uh, which part, because <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's an enormous industry. So, so energy... it's like asking about business, right? Right. Tell me what you like about what's your favorite business in the business sector. In terms of oil and gas, where else should we be looking beyond the usual suspects? 
So I would look specifically uh, in the exploration and you know and, and production patch. And one of the big issues uh, that has happened is we've had about ten to fifteen years of deep, deep under under investment in the uh, uh, in exploration and production in the U.S. There's a really neat measurement. It's called drilled but uncompleted wells. And it's just a it's a measure of how many wells are not producing right now, but they're ready. You know, when we when we talk about turning on the taps, this is what you would talk about in terms of turning on the taps. And in you know, in twenty twenty, there were almost nine thousand. Now there's about forty five hundred. There really, really is not that much available ready to turn on taps in this country. So, if you're looking at places where there is going to be an obvious demand, uh, I would look at the exploration companies. Anadarko is one, and by by you know. By the way, not a not a small company at all. You know, thirteen billion dollars in annual revenue. Uh, Occidental Petroleum uh, is another, and uh, you know these are these are companies that are out doing the exploration for really the fuel that's going to be running our economy for you know for a long while, whether we like it to do or not. I want to go back to that uh, metric because I'd never heard of that before. Drilled but uncompleted wells. That's the yeah. metric. Yeah, DUC. If you want to, let's go acronym on everything, Chris. CH. It's DUC. Yeah, they're called drilled but uncompleted wells, and it's it's something. If you've you know if if you have a if you have a Bloomberg connection or you have access to the uh, U.S. Uh, the EIA, the Energy Information Agency. Um, Energy Intelligence Agency, excuse me. Um, those sorts of metrics are, you know, are, are are listed there, and it's simply these are wells that you've got. Uh, you know, that these are um, uh, are ninety five percent complete. You could turn them on, and the number that we have right now, both through energy policy and then also through the reality that uh, that following the drop in oil prices in in, in twenty twenty, there was a lot a lot of losses in the oil and gas industry uh, in terms of capital. Let's go to our friend Jay Powell. Um, I, I was saying to you earlier today, I feel like the the conversation that is taking place on Wall Street, primarily on Wall Street, about the Federal Reserve and will it raise interest rates? If so, when? If so, in 2022, how many? It is to me. It is like the financial version of a bad rom-com storyline where it's will they or won't they get together it's like just get has together. Daphne noticed yet just yeah just that Niles has a thing for her. right just <laughs> like start dating or don't start like just, that's where I am as an investor with interest rates like hey look raise them don't raise them can we just move on that's that's when I'm being Petty and yes. childish. Um, yeah. when, when I become more serious, I think, okay, let's assume, just for the sake of this conversation, that the way the tea leaves are reading right now uh, come to fruition. And in mid March, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates a quarter percent. In yep. your opinion, then what happens? If you're talking about from the markets, uh, as we record right now, it's already happened. 
Right, the markets in the U.S. are up strongly today. The S and P 500 is up about two percent. I think one thing that is that that, that and, and sorry, least... just to, just to interrupt, up strongly today because Powell's testimony came out, or it was either his uh, written testimony or in answer to a question. Yes, he basically you. said, "Yeah, this is where we're headed," and you can draw a straight line from when he made that comment to when the market started heading north. Yes, they. Thank you. Thank you for not presuming along with me that everyone has been paid very close attention to this today. Um, I guess it's really you know important to note that the market really is a discounting device, and by discounting, it is really good at valuing in right now things that are known that will happen in the future. So the fact that uh, the fact that uh, that that Powell, Chairman Powell, came out and said that this was something that he believed was going to happen. It narrows the it, you know it 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 narrows the potential that there might be no interest rate increase, Fed fund rate increase, or that there might be a larger one. And and in a time in which there is an awful lot of ins- uh, uh, uncertainty, given uh, the geopolitical conditions that we find ourselves in. The fact that he went out and has put some boundaries around what it is that they're planning on doing, the market, I don't think, will react then, because it has already reacted today. Are there industries that become more or less attractive as a result of this? Not so much. Because just on the surface, Bill, a quarter percent ain't that much. No, especially from where we are. I mean, we 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 are still at a at a multi-century low in 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 in, in interest rates. You know, I think that uh, you know, I the reason that interest rates ultimately go up and down is to is 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 to um, guarantee an orderly operation of you know of 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 the economy, and so I would be I would remain interested in the higher quality companies that are generating lots and lots of free cash flow, the ones that have the ability to raise prices uh, and. Be, you know, and 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 be the ones that are you know that are financially in better shape and don't really need the debt. So you know, companies like Google. I mean, let's go back to some of the you know some some of the the old standbys, the most you know the largest, most important companies in the world. Apple is another. Uh, these companies just really don't have much need for debt. They're cash rich, and this gives them some more options. Just thinking about cash, you're not surprised uh, that when Berkshire Hathaway came out with their latest quarterly report, which I appreciate the fact that they, I, you know what, I don't. I like the fact that they release it on a Friday afternoon, but given that this is what I do for a living, I don't actually appreciate it. I would prefer <laughs> they do it at a time when it's easier for me to talk about it. But I'm assuming you're not surprised that uh, that Buffett and Munger and their team just continue to stay as disciplined as possible. Because when you think about businesses that have billions and billions of dollars on the balance sheet, Berkshire Hathaway is right there. They're not, they're not doing anything, really, other than buying back their own stock. Yeah, and they came out in the letter, Warren Buffett uh, essentially said that they didn't find too many things outside of the ones that they already owned to be that attractive. I think Warren Buffett and any company that has a lot of cash is 
is just really actually excited to see a point in time in which they are competing with less alternatives for acquisitions and i know that you know buffett had mentioned in the letter this time that they are they are poised and ready to go um but they're not doing it yet and you know the fact that they have plenty of cash so much more than they need for the operations of uh berkshire hathaway the business and all of its subsidiaries i mean that speaks volumes for what it is that you know the type of environment that they may really thrive and it's not one in which money is as easy as possible for anybody anybody and everybody oh man great talking to you as always thanks for being here thank you chris While the S&P 500 is up today, it is still down for the year. And we've talked before about the natural temptation to try and time the bottom. But since doing that is basically impossible, we wanted to share some allocation advice, not for the bottom of the market, but for a down market. Here's Matt Frankel and Jason Moser. It's been uh, quite a wild ride for investors lately. Plenty of things going on around the world to keep the markets guessing. And we're getting plenty of questions regarding how to think about allocation, portfolio allocation in a down market. And so, as we speak, right now, the S&P 500 is down almost 9% year-to-date. The NASDAQ is down about 12%. But there are some clear do's and don'ts that come with this territory. And we wanted to take a few minutes today to talk about that. So, I guess, first thing, really, what goes through your mind when we see market corrections like we've seen this year? Well, I like to use it as an opportunity to Everyone always says I want to find cheap stocks to buy. That's the you know what everyone wants to do, but I like to use it as an opportunity to get in on stocks that I may have missed out on, which there have been quite a few of those over the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I've I complained to you for how long that I missed out on PayPal. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> so now I look at it as kind of a second chance to add stocks like that to my watch list that maybe I didn't, you know, I missed the boat on the first time around and now I'm kind of being given a second chance if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I like that. I mean, I think we probably all have that list of stocks we feel like we missed uh the first time around. And and, and honestly, we do try to combat that, right? Like I mean, you can feel like maybe you missed it, but by the same token, a good business is a good business, and I and, and I feel like I'd rather ultimately own that good business as opposed to just kind of letting it go, even if I feel like the price ran away from me. But but to your point, PayPal is a great example. I mean, we've seen PayPal um, along with uh, Block and other payments companies really come back to earth here lately. Uh, so it's nice to see that you've got that uh, you've got that company back on your. So it sounds to me like. While it's easy to get a little bit worked up during volatile times, it can be easy to want to sell and run for the hills. Generally speaking, it feels like really you should be more excited about this. And I think you just keyed in on that, right? You're getting a chance not only to perhaps revisit some some companies that you feel like might have gotten away, but but also probably add to some businesses that you already own that that you've maybe developed some more conviction along along the way. Yeah, and one one mistake I see people making is trying to time things. Like they'll say, you know, I don't want to buy PayPal now because it might go down more, which is a definitely a valid point. Um, I don't want to add to Block because it might go de- back down to the 80s like it was a couple weeks ago. Don't try to time things. It's always a good time to buy good businesses. 
And you have to be willing to look like an idiot in the short run <laughs> if, if it makes you look like a genius in the long run. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Back in March 2020, when you know the COVID pandemic first started and there was tons of uncertainty in the market, you probably remember me saying I was buying uh, Ryman Hospitality because it tanked so, to, so badly. I, I ended up getting shares at about eh, $14 a share, I think, was my cost basis. It, it proceeded to go down another 20%, finally bottoming at like $11. I looked like an idiot at that point. You know, I timed it poorly. But today it's trading for about $90 a share. So you have to be willing to, to get the timing issue out of your head because it's always possible that stocks could go down more. If the situation in Ukraine gets worse, I would expect pretty much every stock in the market to go down more with the exception of maybe oil stocks. It, it's You don't want to try to time it. They can always go down further, but it's always a good time to add good businesses for long-term investing. Yeah, I like that. And it really takes me back to something my father taught me when I was a teenager, when he was first teaching me about investing and just the entire the, the concept of it. And, he, and he, he told me, first things first, he's like, listen, when you buy a stock, you need to prepare for it to go down. It's going to be lower than what you pay for it. He said, you're never going to buy the bottom and you're never going to sell the top. So, just get used to that. And don't worry about it. And he's right. I mean, it takes it takes some it takes some going through the motions, right? It takes going through that to to really to really become a believer. I think it's one thing for us to to sit here and say it, um, but but the benefit of going through times like these as an investor is it makes it easier the next time we go through them because. The next time is inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I want to go to that market timing point that you were making because I think that's a really good one. We obviously talk about that a lot here at the Motley Fool and it's not I think necessarily just a, a you know our our sort of philosophy. I think a lot of folks out there believe in that as well, but it it, it takes me to a study that I found recently a Bank of America study on on the S&P 500 returns and it broke down returns by decade going back to 1930. And it looked at the returns over the course of the decade, but then it also took a closer look at if you excluded the worst 10 days per, dec- per decade, if you excluded the 10 best days per decade, and then if you excluded the best and the worst 10 days per decade. And it was just interesting to me to see how profound an impact this can have on returns. So, if you look at the decade from 2010 to 2020, the, the S&P returns were 190%. Now, if you exclude the worst 10 days in that decade, your returns go to 351%. I mean, that sounds like a great deal. Maybe we should start focusing on uh, trying to time the market if, if, if the returns are going to be that, that significantly better. The flip side of that coin is if you exclude the best 10 days per decade, your your returns all of a sudden sink down to 95%. Right. So you can see a profound impact on both sides of the coin there. And ultimately, this kind of gets back to that point. We're talking about a decade. What do you think the chances are of actually picking those 10 days? In over the course of a decade, I mean, try to pick those ten days over the course of a month. I think would be <laughs> challenging enough to do it over the course of a decade. I, th- I think we all would agree it's it's impossible. You're not going to be able to do it, uh, and there are additional costs that come with that. Right? There are taxes that you would have to consider. There's opportunity cost of getting out of potentially good ideas uh, and, and into ideas that aren't necessarily as good. Right? But I think the ultimate point here is that while the numbers can 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 make people 
perhaps want to time time the market, I think it's it's better to look at the bigger picture, try to take this in a context and, and, and try to assess what do you think the chances actually are of, of, of executing that timing uh, perfectly? Because I, I think you would agree too, chances are pretty much zero. Oh, yes, yeah, slim to none. I mean, I've incorrectly called the bottom of February about 10 times. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's impossible to do. And I mean, I, I, I've said, ah, this feels like a bottom probably about 10 times in February. So it, it's it, it's not possible to do, and it's it's you're you're more likely to lose out by being hesitant to pull the trigger than you are of gaining by trying to time the bottom. Now, what? How, how do you view? Because I, I know that we've seen. Uh, I mean, it, the Nasdaq. I think growth stocks in particular have felt a little, a little bit more uh, pain here than, than others. And I, you know, I mean, I know a lot of folks out there own a lot of these stocks and are probably feeling that pain along with us. How do you view allocation when it comes to stable companies versus those those sort of high flyer growth stocks? Maybe they're not profitable yet. Maybe maybe they, you got to look a little bit further uh, down the road to really understand the potential there. But how do you view asset allocation when you're when you're looking at those stable companies versus the the unprofitable uh, riskier ideas? Well, one of the good parts about having a portfolio of boring banks and real estate stocks in normal times is it gives me a lot of wiggle room to pursue the growth opportunities when times get rough. <laughs> uh, but I mean that aside, I I definitely think there needs to be some sort of balance in your portfolio. If you've generally been a growth stock investor and you're getting clobbered and stuff like that, Maybe it's time to look at some, you know, high quality real estate stocks that have been beaten down or high quality bank stocks because those are starting to look very attractive right now because a lot of them have some Russia exposure. So there it it could be a great time to try to find some long-term investments in an area you're not focused on. Uh in addition to picking up shares in some of your favorite companies that you have been focused on, but there definitely needs to be some kind of balance. There's opportunities on both sides. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I've, I've said it before. I feel like if you can own one of those nice, stable companies for every high flyer that you own, I, I know in, in the near term, it may not seem as sexy. Maybe you're not really benefiting from from the tailwinds of of, uh, of, of those growth stocks that, that you you may you may. Be be hoping for, but but honestly, if if you can own some of those stable companies, it really does make the investing journey much easier. It makes it really easy to sleep at night, and it makes it it makes it a lot easier to stomach the volatility that we see during times like these. I, I think there there really is there really is a lot of merit in trying to make sure that you're well diversified and focusing on stability to go with that growth. It, it really does make investing, I think, a lot easier. One of the great parts about being willing to attack investing from all different sides is I mean I've never I have not had a day where my entire portfolio is down I just, it just hasn't happened and that's because I diversify and I, I look for the best opportunities regardless of growth value what sector things like that and you're you're always you're all, there's always going to be winners somewhere and and diversifying lets you find them well, I like that, Matt. I appreciate your insight today. I'm sure our listeners do as well. Thanks so much for taking the time. It's good talking to you again. Always good to be with you. That's all for today. But coming up tomorrow, we'll have three stocks to put on your watch list for inflationary times. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.